Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, October 13th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. we got a lot of stuff to get to here on today's show. We're going to talk a little bit about the NHL futures market with free agency, trades, all kinds of stuff happening there. We'll talk about tonight's Bills and Titans game. Then we'll take a look ahead to week six in the NFL, looking at a few different games during a highlight video, and then we'll wrap things up with a look at the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek, this week's PGA Tour event. Lots of stuff going on over at ATS.io as well. Just wrote an article about the new parlay builder over at BetMGM Sportsbook. You want to check out that article. And of course, if you sign up for BetMGM through us here at ATS.io, you'll get up to a $500 risk-free bet with that first wager that you make. We'll cover a lot of sportsbook promotions out there in the industry, not just from BetMGM, but also places like PointsBet, DraftKings, uh, William Hill, Sugarhouse, all the different sports betting operators that are out there to go along with a vast array of picks, predictions, prognostications, tons of coverage across the entire legal U.S. sports betting landscape over at ATS.io. Brian is our leadoff hitter this week on ATS Radio because I was out of town on Monday. So we'll talk with Kyle Hunter on Wednesday, Brad Powers on Thursday, my Circus Sports Million picks for week six coming up here on the show on Friday. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, I know you're a busy man, man. How are you keeping things together here? Let's go. Well, before we start, I'm just trying to process the T-shirt you got going there. Oh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Heroes in a half shell. Turtle power. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm in the dark. <laughs> you don't know who the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are? Oh, I kind of know. You what have they kids look. and grandkids, right? I have a, I have a grandkid. Thankfully, she's not into that one. I mean, the, I thank God I survived the Barney thing. The Barney thing was that was wrong. Barney was wrong on so many levels. Do you know uh, who the Teletubbies are? Yeah, they're rotten too. <laughs> um. What is the one thing she wanted? She's over that now, too, but it was actually good. Was Henry Danger? Oh, see, that one I don't know. See, that was like, like when I was a kid, Bugs Bunny. I mean, I used to come home from high school and watch Bugs Bunny. Bugs I'm still Bunny, a Looney Tunes fan. Well, Bugs Bunny was for adults. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there were a lot of interesting themes and different references on the Looney Tunes for sure. <laughs> All right, man. Sorry. No, it's all good. I mean, I, I actually like a lot of retro and vintage stuff. Uh, you know, I got the Hartford Whalers hat on, for example. Got the THB Ninja Turtles shirt. I just bought a Quebec Nordiques hat not that long ago. Hey, uh, Sabres, so, Sabres Royal Blues are coming back. I know. I'm excited. I mean, The Sabres are having a nice offseason. I guess let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit here. Uh, NHL, the draft just wrapped up. Free agency going on. Bunch of trades. Uh, as we talked about last week. The salary cap not really moving, so teams have had to do a lot of things. You've got the Seattle Kraken coming into the league here. So a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts, to say the least. Just to tie this into betting real quickly here, Colorado Avalanche, your 8-1 to one favorite to win the Stanley Cup over at BetMGM. Vegas Golden Knights, plus 850. Tampa Bay Lightning, who, of course, just won it in the bubble. They're plus 900. Bruins, 11-1. to one. Flyers and Blues, 14-1. to one. Maple Leafs and Capitals, who just signed Henrik Lundqvist. They're 18-1 to on down from there. But lots of moving parts, tons of transactions. The agents have been very, very busy here over the last week, week and a half. Yes, and uh, last night it came to fruition. 
every year Vegas seems to be in on the big fish. They got Alex Petrangelo, 8.8 million, seven year deal. He's coming here. They had to move Nate Schmidt out. He goes to Vancouver. Um, Vegas is going to go with Leonard and Flurry, $12 million in goaltenders. I don't know how that works, but on paper, Vegas looks pretty salty. Uh, you mentioned the Sabres. They get Taylor Hall. He comes in, which out of nowhere, Buffalo done nothing, and it looked like they had this internal salary cap. Eichel's frustrated. Out of nowhere, uh, they get Taylor Hall, uh, the top forward free agent. He goes, signs a one-year deal for $8 million. And he says he wants to be there long-term. They offered him one in two years. And he he turned down uh, multiple-year offers to go to Buffalo. And it's a bet-on-me kind of thing because he's going to play with Eichel and he's going to put up balloon numbers. But out of nowhere, the Sabres, uh, you know, the, the prospects are pretty exciting for what they can do offensively. Uh, and you look at the Bruins, they lose Tory Krug. The Atlantic division got really tough. Ottawa with their draft picks, uh, they're going to be, I think Ottawa in two years is just going to be a midful. Iserman's got the Red Wings going the right way. Uh, it, it's fun. And, and you sort of did the Zoom media thing with the uh, Golden Knights GM Kelly McCrimmon last night. And, you know, he was going through Petrangelo and Schmidt and all the stuff. And then, but I asked him, I said, is the phone still ringing? You know, are you done? Uh, and he said two more days. He thinks there's going to be two more days of activity, and then he thinks things are going to completely shut down, b- leading all the way up to training camp, and then the eventual start of the season, which on paper they're saying January 1st. But it's kind of fun. You had the draft and free agency and, and looking at uh, you know who got better, who got worse. The Tampa Bay Lightning win the Cup, and we've seen this before, Adam. You know, the Blackhawks win their first cup five minutes after they, they're drinking to still out of the cup, and they had to get rid of Dustin Bufflin. And the Lightning have cap issues now, and nobody's in a hurry to help them out of the hole they've dug themselves. But it was a nice hole to dig because the cup's in the hole. Yeah, there are uh, there are a lot of unspeakable things I would do for the Indians to win a World Series, and I don't care how much it would cost them. I don't care what it would do for the when next it, 10 years. The flag yeah. flies forever. I mean, it's 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 that simple. So – you go all in when you can, you take your shot, and you kind of figure it out from there moving forward. But the Taylor Hall one is really interesting because, as you said, it's a bet on himself, but it's also a place he knows he can go and get first-line minutes, first-line at even strength, first-line on the power play, all that kind of thing. He's going to get to play a lot and maybe put up numbers and then maybe get himself a bigger payday if teams get some increased salary cap flexibility going into the following season, you know, if the cap does wind up going up a little bit. So I kind of wonder if, you know, maybe we see a few more players kind of go that route here before all the dust officially settles. Yeah. I mean, in the uncertain times, uh, only a handful of guys are getting the seven year deal. Uh, Tory crew got one. Uh, I think Anderson got one after the trade with Montreal, but for the most part, shorter deals and the, the whole thing's pretty amazing because, it, the, hockey is such an old boys network. It it really is. And you could always connect the dots back and trace things. I think Ralph Kruger, the head coach is actually kind of the de facto GM along with Kevin Adams. Now Kruger coached hall at Edmonton and loved the guy and they loved, they loved each other. And Kruger was the calling card and Eichel to bring hall there. And I don't think the kid's blowing smoke. He's from Toronto says he's closer to home and he wants to stay there. 
But what I love about what the Sabres did, and you could apply this to any team, as a Sabres fan, they they had owners. You want owners to be committed, but just because an owner's committed, if you're throwing money around, and the fact that they come in and haul here's one year, $8 million, all it cost him was money, find out if he's a fit. He sees if he likes it there. And then midway through the season, say, yes, this is working. And you extend him out. And he's in your building and you can negotiate with him before he goes back to free agency. Or if it's not working and he doesn't like it, at the trade deadline, the Sabres, if he waives his no-move clause, can trade him and get a truckload of assets. So all it cost was $8 million bucks, you know. And uh, so I think it's a win-win move for the Sabres. But don't sleep on the fact that I think uh, – I think Hall's genuinely excited. That tandem, Eichel and Hall, could be pretty, pretty special. Yeah, it really could. I mean, you know, we'll see if the Sabres get any goaltending for the upcoming season, but they're sitting out there uh, at 40-1, to 1, as you mentioned, the Atlantic Division looking pretty solid here. Usually it's been the Metropolitan Division. It's been the really, really good one. And it's I'm still sure good. Be, it'll <laughs> be still very good. good. Uh, I like it. You know, and, and as you kind of look at the odds here, like I said, Colorado 8-1, to 1, Vegas 8-50, we're used to seeing the favorites, you know, five to one, six to one, something like that. Seems like there is, you know, a, a spread of the talent pool this year where you've got a lot of teams in that 20 to 25, 30 to 35 range that could make some noise. And again, we just hope that, you know, depending on how the fall goes, that that the NHL season is ready to go January 1st, hopefully with people in the building so that these teams can get some gate, uh, especially for the AHL. But you know, hopefully things kind of go off without a hitch here. And we see if they get creative with the schedule, if that kind of dictates the futures approach, you know, like, let's say it's a very regional geographic schedule. Maybe that helps a team like Vegas where the Pacific division, maybe, maybe not as strong as some of the other ones, you know, stuff like that could have an impact in the futures market for sure. You know, the NHL, Adam, I mean, listen, I swear to you, bud, it's your banners. Great. You know, win a division, get in. You know, I mean, it's be one of eight in your conference. Just get in. Any You get in, you have a chance. Uh, in the NHL, an eight seed can win the whole thing. I agree. Get in, you have a chance. It's definitely not like the NBA. Uh, you know, MLB kind of used to be that way. Get in and you got a good shot. But lately, it's been kind of a more top-heavy format uh, for the MLB postseason over the last few years. But yeah, the NHL is different. You know, we see NFL wildcard teams make it, but the wildcard teams are usually, you know, 11 and five or, you know, 10 and six or something like that anyway. But yeah, I think in the NHL, it, it can be something that can be a lot more open. I mean, look at Dallas. Nobody really gave Dallas a chance to run that deep. And it wasn't even just because of their three round robin games. It was just because we looked at them and said, offensively, this team is not very good. They were one of the lowest scoring teams at five on five in the regular season. And they figure it out in the postseason. I know they were a higher seed, yep. but still, they were not a team expected to make the run that they were. So I agree. No. All you got to do is get in. Yeah. I mean, go two years back. I mean, you know, the Blues are in a bar in Philadelphia. You're flailing away, and they're not even going to make the playoffs. And, you know, they went out and probably got all Fakakta the one night, and they played Gloria on a jukebox. Next thing you know, Bennington shows up, and they win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's very true. Hey, you're the baseball guy, by the way. I'm, so I'm flipping around I, from the football game, and I go over. I had the Braves last night. You know, it was a close game. Then I sw- switch over at the end of the football game, and I see the ninth inning, and the Braves open it up. But when the kid hit the home run, I'm sitting there going, 
Where all these fans come from? How many fans were there? There were a lot of fans at that game. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I want to say 25% capacity, maybe. Um, it's awesome. You, there was like, there were fans at a sporting event. Yeah, it's it's not, man, did you see the pictures of the uh, Florida-Texas A&M game? There were a ton of people uh, in College Station at that one. We're, we're you know, kind of getting around. I mean, Florida said, you know, hey, we're lifting capacity restrictions, and the teams are like, no, I, I think we're good. We'll kind of hold where we are. But, yeah, I mean, some of those places, uh, it, it's, it, it's, you know what? It's strange because, you know, my wife and I went out uh, not, well, this past weekend we were in Austin, but the previous weekend we went out in Western Ohio and it's a different kind of mindset, different kind of people. And it felt weird to be in places where just nobody's wearing a mask. It's just, it's so strange how normal that's become. And now, you know, seeing fans back at sporting events, it's like, oh my God, like this is what it's supposed to be like. I completely forgot. Because I've always been one of these, we got to get on with our lives and everything. And I talk a good game. But the thing that when we say get back to normal, and I don't know, do you find yourself doing this? I mean, I, I'm, I say, let's get on with our lives and let's get out and do things and you know, wear the mask and go outside and take the mask off. I, I love watching these TV news reports from, you know, uh, news reporters at a parking lot with no one around them and they're wearing a mask. It's like, stop. But that being said, you know, people come near you. You still that in the back of your mind, man, it's like uh, other human beings are radioactive. It's going to be a long time until we get our brains right. It's, it's different. It really is. You know, um, my birthday was Sunday. We went out. Um, I appreciate it. We, we went out and there was a guy who was, he was pretty drunk himself and, you know, he's, he, bought me a couple of drinks and uh it wasn't hitting on me i don't mean it like that but i uh, <laughs> bought me a couple of birthday drinks and like you know just guy i don't know this guy complete stranger <laughs> guy from texas no no mascot talking to me and i'm just i'm kind of sitting there like and like a year ago you know this is yeah. fun and awesome and, and now this guy's standing next to me i'm just sitting there thinking i'm gonna get rona from this guy i don't know this guy but i'm gonna get Backing up every set every word he oh, said man and, and it's just it, it's nuts it, it's crazy to to think like that and you know i mean it's what it is, man. you know I, I it's like i i changed anything about the situation but i'm just sitting there thinking i'm gonna get it from this guy and i don't even know him but it, it's a it's weird it, it certainly is but again you know like you said at least we're starting to see fans at things now and uh you know hopefully they wind up getting increased capacity and you know maybe we got kind of a handle on how this thing spreads and all that. And I think it's a pretty good segue into the NFL where we have oh. Tuesday night football here between the, the Bills, Bills and the Titans. Uh, Bills three and a half point favorite, total 51 and a half on this game. I mean, you know, the thing to me is I sit there and think, okay, in a vacuum, I don't think anything will be that much different about this game. But then I also look ahead to the next game and we've talked about this before. And I, I know you like to hear me say circadian rhythm. These guys are creatures of habit, and there's nothing habitual about playing on a Tuesday night. Well, no, I mean, listen, the Tennessee thing impacted a lot of teams. I mean, eight games ended up getting moved, uh, schedules altered, a number of teams, you know, said, okay, we're just moving your bye. Well, well, yeah, except they practiced all week for the game that got canceled, so you're telling me those teams don't get a day off all year long. You know, I mean, that it is what it is, but it's nuts. Um, the game tonight is interesting. I, I think what I would say is play the over 
Uh, for the one, the big reason I say this is Matt Milano, the Bills, he and Edmonds in the middle uh, are, are a nice tandem. The Bills defense finally showed up and made plays against the Raiders, and Milano gets hurt again. The, the week he was out, he and Edmonds were out down in Miami. There were points galore, and the, the total is only 40. So I think the Titans will they'll run Henry. Uh, I think Tanny will have success over the middle. Milano's a really – he's a playmaker that not a lot of people know about. So I think Tennessee will get points. But I'm really thinking Tennessee has – what if they had a practice maybe in the last two weeks? I think their tackling could be really suspect. And the Bills' offense has been singing like a top. So I got a funny feeling that's uh, that's the way to go is that they'll be uh, – because these two teams played last year. It was a dead-under game. I think this is a different animal. Um, the one thing I'm, I'm worried about for the Bills, and I was worried about the Bills, and then I thought, well, wait a minute, the Chiefs just did it. And it is, how many times would you say this? But could the Chiefs have been looking ahead to the Bills? And the Bills have the Chiefs coming up now on a Monday night, and I'm hopeful the Bills aren't, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's a good Tennessee football team. Um, but I like points. I think it's a high-scoring game. Yeah, I think so, too. This total has gone up a little bit. I think it will continue to go up as we get closer to kickoff. A lot of people are going to bet on this game because it's Tuesday night football. I mean, we you know get the Mac, but we don't really get the NFL on Tuesday nights. So a lot of people are going to bet this one. I think they're going to take the over. You've got a Tennessee defense that's given up a lot of yards. Uh, they've given up you know quite a bit uh, through the air here this season as well. And Buffalo's got you know, this new passing game dimension with better weapons with Allen playing better, with some more verticality, with a lot of separation for their receivers, stuff like that. I do think the over is the way to look here in tonight's game. And the thing about Milano is that, you know, a lot of people think linebackers and, and they're thinking about, oh, well, you know, those are guys that stopped the run. But the fact of the matter is Milano is an outstanding coverage linebacker. Oh. And nowadays you've got all these teams that are throwing short, quick stuff, using a lot of tight ends, running backs in the passing game, stuff like that. Missing linebackers, I think is a lot more... You, usually you think about missing defensive backs and how that's a big deal. I think missing linebackers, specifically coverage guys, is a massive deal in the current state of the NFL. Milano is one of those guys. So I agree. I think that could hurt the Buffalo defense quite a bit tonight. Oh, I was trying to look it up before you finished talking. You could have, you know, sing a show tune or something. I would, what, what's the kid's name? Uh, is it John, John o. Smith? John o. Smith, yeah. Is that right? Okay. I, I wasn't 100 he could have a monster game tonight. I mean, because Milano is not only really good in, in, you know, trying to stop Derrick Henry, but he would be the guy who's on Smith. I mean, if there's a prop out there, I'd be playing that kid over anything. Yeah, and and that's something that, you know, like you said, I mean, Tennessee hasn't really been able to practice, but certainly they've been able to do a lot of film study, and they know Milano's out, so you have to think – that's a massive part of their game plan tonight, or at the very least, you know, it should be. And, and if it's not, well, you know, it's another case of coaches not really knowing what to do in the NFL. But let's go ahead and do a highlight video here, Brian, on this Tuesday edition of ATS Radio. Of course, I'm joined by Brian Blessing of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. I'm host Adam Burke here. We're taking a look at some of the games that are on our radars here for week six. A lot of interesting stuff to take a look at. Of course, you know, we were supposed to get Miami and Denver. Now we're not because we've got Denver and New England and all sorts of different stuff going on as a result of the coronavirus. But one game in particular that I wanted to start with here, Brian, 
Atlanta and Minnesota, game 255-256. Uh, current line on this one, Minnesota, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Total coming down, interestingly enough, 255. We saw it last week, and we talked about it last week. Bill O'Brien getting canned from the Houston Texans. Would they get that bump? Was it a one-game bump? Is it more than that? And the Texans won and covered pretty comfortably against the Jacksonville Jaguars. What do you think about Atlanta here this week, where they you know, now no longer have Dan Quinn on that sideline? I, you know, it's more Minnesota I'm thinking about because I know we talked about this last week, Adam, and we talked about it in the summer. and said there are going to be some teams that start very slow. And the adjustments, power rankings, it's going to bleed out for a month, not a week or two. And Minnesota, to me, was that team. The, the, them beating Houston, I said, they're finally figuring this thing out, and everybody pokes holes at Cousins, but the emergence of Jefferson on the other side of Thielen – gave them some weapons. And as Minnesota, I think, is a pretty good football team. And then they go and give the game away uh, against Seattle. So I, I, that was a, a, just a grisly loss and wonder if they're deflated. But with the combination of Cook and Madison, and we'll see if Cook is healthy, I think he'll be okay. This guy always seems to tweak something, but he's tough and he always keeps playing. If Minnesota somehow puts that behind them, I think Minnesota's a good football team. Matt Ryan, I mean, last week, they finally get a good running game and a good outing from Gurley, and then Ryan goes and throws this horrible interception. Atlanta's a dog's breakfast. I don't know how you trust them. Uh, you know, I, I, if I had to play the game, see, the hook is problematic for me. Um, I'd, I'd lay the three with Minnesota, but I think I like it to be high scoring. You know, it's such an interesting thing for Atlanta. I mean, you know, look, they're, they're very banged up in the secondary. Guys like Allen and Neal and KZ have missed time. Uh, but, you know, also, they no longer have this cloud hanging over them of when is Dan Quinn going to get fired? Because Dan Quinn, for all intents and purposes, should have been fired last year. The team rallied, saved his job. We talked about that last week on the show. I talked about it when I took Carolina for the Circa on Friday's show. You know, how many times are they going to go to bat for this guy before they say, you know what, maybe we can't win with him. Maybe we need a change of, you know, a change of voice, something like that. Now they get it. So now they're kind of playing a little bit freer and easier without Dan Quinn. The problem is, man, I'm going nuts. I mean, okay, that writing was on the wall last year. Look at the Jags are doing the same thing with Marone. You know, the O'Brien thing, I mean, he, he, he would drive you nuts, but I mean, you know, they made the playoffs last year, won a game, and you can disagree with the trade. I mean, could they have just fired him as GM? Yeah, I mean, you could disagree with the trades he made, but they played Baltimore, Kansas City, and uh, uh, who was the though Pittsburgh? I mean, you know, I mean, what's he supposed to do? He didn't make the schedule. I don't yeah. know. I mean, they're, they're guys that flat out like, yeah, this ain't gonna work. You know, the O'Brien thing eventually probably would have ended, but. I just I don't understand these teams that are willing to do this a month in. They either you know you knew or you didn't know. I mean, especially the case of Atlanta. I mean, I, I think you knew. You know, I mean, I understand that Dan Quinn was there when they went to the Super Bowl, but you know that was just kind of the, the beginning of the end because they've blown so many fourth quarter leads and stuff like that. There are just some guys that are simply coordinators, and Dan Quinn is a defensive coordinator. And I don't think he's a head coach, and. He'll find a job as a defensive coordinator and probably be a good one. But 
the thing about Bill O'Brien was that Bill O'Brien could at least game plan. And I think he did a pretty good job of that. Dan Quinn, I don't really know so much. The thing about this game is I think Atlanta's maybe just not very good. You know, I thought Atlanta would be a pretty decent team coming into the season, albeit in a very tough division. I think Atlanta is just not very good. And, you know, Julio Jones has been banged up. It's been a question week in and week out if he's going to play. The defense isn't great, especially with all of their injuries. I just don't think Atlanta is that good of a team. I, th- I don't think Houston's a great team, but they're playing Jacksonville. Atlanta's playing Minnesota, a much better team, and a Minnesota team that's going to find its way with Mike Zimmer after all the personnel he had to replace on the defensive side. I don't think you get the one-game coaching bump here. I think Minnesota is just that much better than Atlanta. And also, too, let's say Minnesota finishes that game and beats Seattle. Let's say Dan Quinn's not fired. This line's six, at least in my opinion. I think this line is Minnesota minus six. So I think you've got two circumstantial things here that have dragged this line down. I think three and a half is a little bit cheap based on the body of work for these two teams. I'd agree with everything you said. The one thing is not a X's and O's thing. It's an intangible thing. And that's, uh, is Minnesota deflated from coughing up the game or mad? You know, if, if Minnesota's mad, they win by 14 or more. If they're deflated, they could spit the bit and blow another one. But that, yeah. good luck figuring that one out in a box score. I think that's fair, too, because if you win that game, all of a sudden you've got a shot at the wild card, and now you don't. You know, because I mean, you're probably not going to make it, you know, starting out one and four. So there is that, you know, now you sort of wonder what their prospects are for the rest of the season. But I I still, I just think they're a better team. I just think that they're a much better team. The line implies that in Atlanta now, I mean, you know, I I don't know how much, this wasn't a situation like Houston with Bill O'Brien, where apparently he had that falling out with JJ Watt and all of that. A lot of the Falcons players were like, look, you know, Dan Quinn's a good guy. Dan Quinn is a guy that I enjoyed playing for, that I want to play for. You didn't hear that about Bill O'Brien. You didn't hear people go, yeah, Bill O'Brien was a great guy. We're going to miss him. I think for Atlanta, I think it's more of disappointment that, you know, look, we we couldn't we couldn't help this guy out more. You know, we couldn't make plays at the end of games, and, and we kind of got our coach fired, whereas I think for Houston, it's sort of, hey, Bill O'Brien's gone. This is awesome kind of thing. So I think they're just two very different situations, I think. But people will draw that natural comparison, and that's why you know I kind of wanted to talk about it on today's show. Well, come on, let's get to it. I mean, you're, you're drooling. I can see it. You got your teenage mutant ninja mutant turtle. Ninja turtle. Make sure I get it right. Your teenage mutant ninja turtle drool cup on. Let's go. Let's talk about the Browns. Are they All ready right. to throw a parade or what? I, I mean, <laughs> four and one feels parade worthy uh, yeah. for this organization. Look. Cleveland and Pittsburgh game 261-262. Steelers three and a half point favorite, total 51. These two teams have played 43 times since the Browns came back in 1999. Pittsburgh has won 35 of them. There is a tie in there too. But Pittsburgh has dominated this series straight up. Against the spread, it's pretty close to 50-50. So there is that. But this is a very one-sided rivalry. Now you got probably the best Browns team in a very long time offensively they're one of the most efficient teams in the NFL they're going to face a Pittsburgh pass rush that's really unlike anything they've seen to this point but fascinating game X's and O's matchups everything I'll definitely be doing a deep dive on this one throughout the week but Brian what are your thoughts like Pittsburgh minus three and a half and 51 on the total first of all 
the schedule that the AFC North is playing is unbelievable. It is cupcake city. It's ridiculous. All right. I think Pittsburgh wins this game. I think they cover the spread. Don't hate me, Browns fans, because you're going to go on a Tootsie Roll. Okay, you beat Indy, but, you know, Rivers, one week to the next, you just don't know what the hell you're going to get. But after this game, the Browns have the Bengals, the Raiders, but you get them at home. They get the Texans, the Eagles, the Jags, and then, okay, you, you got to play the Ravens again. But the you close with the Giants, the Jets, and then the rematch with the Steelers. If this team stays healthy, I mean, you're winning. You're looking at 10-11 wins. Um, I, I think this is the deep end of the – if they win this game, <laughs> I mean, look out. Um, I think I think the human nailed it, the pass rush and, and a Pittsburgh defense that can create turnovers. Um Based on who Cleveland's played already, again, that's a good win against Indy, don't get me wrong. But again, Rivers, you know, makes a goofball throw here and there. They get the Browns got pitchforked by the Ravens, which all teams do in the opening week. But then you beat the Bengals and the Redskins, so that's not parade worthy. They beat the Cowboys, which was impressive, but the Cowboys, they they couldn't stop Kent State offensively. And okay, and then you beat Indy with Rivers helping the cause. I, I think this is this is a tough one for the Browns, but I, but I think it's a good football team. They're going to win a lot of games. Here's what I'll say. First of all, I agree with the line move. I think four was high. I think three and a half is getting closer. I, I think this is legitimately three. You know, with the fact that we don't have the same level of home field advantage. I agree that Pittsburgh is a higher power rated team than Cleveland, and they should be. I think it's probably maybe a two, two and a half point difference between the two. So if you give a point or so for home field, whatever, three, three and a half, I think that's a pretty fair number. I do think four was a little bit high. I agree with anybody that bet four. I think that's a a good number to grab. There are a couple of things that I kind of wonder about this game. The first is Baker doesn't take great care of the football. He will make some throws that are a little bit aggressive. He will make some decisions that are a little bit questionable. Now, Kevin Stefanski is moving the pocket a lot more, and the Browns running game is very good. Is that enough to kind of stunt that Pittsburgh pass rush? It could be. But also, Pittsburgh is pretty good in the back seven. So that's the matchup for me, is Baker Mayfield against that Pittsburgh back seven. Does he have those crippling turnovers that we've seen from him? He does not take great care of the football. So that's the thing for me. Does he sacrifice possessions here in this game? Because if he does, this Browns defense is average at best. Maybe they get healthier this week. Maybe they don't. But that's the thing for me is the Browns have to take care of the football. If the Browns win the turnover battle, I think they win this football game. If they don't, Pittsburgh wins and probably covers. To me, I think that's too risky of a play to make. I probably won't have a bet on this game. But that's the thing for me. Baker has to take care of the football. He has to make smart decisions, get rid of it when the pass rush shows up, and not throw into double coverage, not make any overly aggressive decisions because this has been a very efficient offense. They can run the ball. They've got a ton of great weapons. So that's the thing for me. Does Baker turn it over? If he doesn't, Cleveland wins, and they make that push for the playoffs. If he does, then they hope to take advantage of the week schedule. 
I have no conviction on this game. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, and is this an oxymoron? I'm going to say this, that you've got an unbeaten Steelers team and a Browns team that's feeling their oats with one loss. Heading into this game, I don't know if I trust either team to say how good are they, all right? Because what we're saying with the Browns, again, you got emulsified by the Ravens. And, and okay, you, you, you've done great work since. Well, the Steelers beat the Giants. They beat the Broncos with the quarterback out. They beat the Texans who fired their coach. And then they beat the Eagles who is coming out of the NFC least. So it's not either of these teams' fault. You know, you play who's in front of you. But in terms of who they've actually played, both of them, I don't know that I trust how good either of them really are. If you, you now the gun to my head, I think you know, the Browns have been flashy and fun. But at the end of the day, who do I think is is the better team? As long as Roethlisberger's upright with the balance they have, I I give the nod to Pittsburgh. But to this point, I don't know how good either of them are because, for the most part, they haven't played anybody. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think one thing I guess I will say, as far as the side goes, I don't like anything. But as I was just thinking about it with the total, you don't see AFC North totals of 51. And in fact, going back to 1989, the 1989 season, this is the highest total in a Browns versus Steelers game. So we're talking about a very large sample size. They play each other at least twice a year. They had a playoff matchup in there as well. 51's a high total here. And and maybe this is just reflective in general of scoring being up across the NFL. But when we're talking about a historic outlier of a total, I have to look at the under. And I don't know if I will bet the under here in this game. But again, it is a divisional game between two teams that are pretty familiar with each other, at least from a personnel standpoint. Historically high total. I think under 51 may be the way to go in this game. I, I got to tell you, but I think the numbers, and you're right on the, on the total for pause for concern. But again, the Browns gave up 38 to the Ravens, and I, I draw a line through that first game. But they gave up 30 to the Bengals, uh, 49 38 to the Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of points being scored out there, man. Oh, I agree. Uh, and, honestly, to, and I'm not I'm not knocking what you're saying, but to, to make the blanket statement, and we know what the, what this division's been all about. But let's give the Browns credit. Um, this offense, you know, they can run the ball effectively. Uh, you know, if, if Chubb was in there, I mean, the total would be even higher. But uh, this is a Browns team that seems to enjoy playing the track meetish kind of game. They do. And part of that is because they've had a lot of injured personnel in the back seven. Greedy Williams has been out. Mac Williams has been out. Um, Denzel Ward's been out. You know, we'll see what the injury report looks like for them. If they get those guys back, uh, you know, then I probably will look at the under 51. But just putting it out there as a historical outlier, I I think is something that's that's really interesting to say the least. Brian, one other game I want to touch on with you here for this highlight video on our ATS YouTube page, Green Bay and Tampa Bay. Green Bay, two and a half. Although this one's kind of all over the place, two, two and a half. Total has gone up on this game. This one's now up in the 54 and a half range down on the Gulf Coast of Florida. What do you think about this one here where you got a battle of the Bays with Green Bay with some extra prep time and Tampa Bay with some extra prep time as well 
but off of a, a really disappointing and, and kind of flat effort against the Bears. Yeah, Tampa Bay to me is really interesting. Brady knows what he's doing out there when he can count the downs. Uh, But to get the running game consistently going for Tampa Bay, if they can continue to run the football, they're pretty dangerous. And, And he's got the weapons with Godwin and Evans that he just hasn't had in a long time to be able to stretch the field. But I, I think it's one of these things where they can run a little bit hot and cold. In Green Bay, everybody was shooting holes at their draft, and they did nothing to help Rodgers. But the, what, what's helping Rodgers, they can run the ball. And it, 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 all these years, Rodgers back there dancing around and doing everything by himself. But the fact that they can run the ball uh, right now with consistency and so effective makes Green Bay really, really, uh, you know, a, a dangerous football team. Uh, I don't know that the coaches get in the way of this one, but just the, the matchup, Brady and Rodgers, both of these guys seem to rally around and, and rise to that moment and go, okay, let's go. You know, there's like a legacy thing you know, when they're all done playing. But remember that day we played, and I don't know. I can see both these quarterbacks having a big day. I think something that's really interesting about Green Bay here is that I don't think we're respecting what they're doing in 2020 because we all looked at their 2019 and said they're not as good as their record. You know, we looked at their point differential and said this is a regression team. And then they got to the playoffs, and they didn't look particularly good. I think maybe this is just a very good football team. And I think now, you know, with Matt LaFleur having another year with this team, with Aaron Rodgers looking the way that he does this season, I think Green Bay might just be really good. And I think that we might have to ignore some of those regression signs from the previous year. And I think when you look at how this team is being evaluated in the betting market, I think some of that sentiment from last year, the expectation of negative regression, the expectation of sharp money coming in against them, I think it's led to them being a little bit underpriced. I don't know if I'll take them at two and a half here. I want to look into this game a little bit more. Like I said, I was out of town over the weekend, so I didn't check out a whole lot in the NFL. But I think that maybe there is this chance that we're valuing 2019 too much and 2020 not enough for Green Bay. And I think maybe they're just one of the NFL's elite teams this year. You know, I think maybe a good way to play this um... – Adam would be over in the first half because you get Tampa played a Thursday night game and the Packers are coming off the bye. So both teams have extra time to get ready for the game and really install packages that will be effective. And then when you're in the game, maybe they make adjustments at halftime to slow the other two teams down. But I, maybe I'd give the nod to the offenses here out of the gate because of both teams having extra time to prepare. And you look at the Green Bay game. I mean, they beat Atlanta, who's basically kind of packed it in here, and that was a low-scoring game, the first under that the Packers had played. Uh, I, I think these teams get after it and go up and down the field in the first half. Uh, that might, I think, go inside the game for me. That kind of makes sense. I think I'd, I'd look at over in the first half. I like that, too, especially because we've talked about this a lot here on the show. The one thing that did benefit the Packers last year 
was that they were a very fast starter. The scripted mm-hmm. plays for Matt LaFleur were excellent. And now you've got, as you mentioned, a lot of time to work on that game script. First quarter over, I think, is a good look. Uh, you know, first half over is a good look. Again, this total has gone up from 51 and a half or so up to 54, 54 and a half. So it is on the rise. But, you know, one of the things that you can do to some degree to sort of get a little bit of that equity back is play a derivative like a first half total. Uh, you know, so you're not taking over 55 for the full game. You're kind of looking at that first half. So some hey, good thoughts here. Go ahead. Yeah, but can you can you at least on Tuesdays, can you tailor your comments to who your guest is with the equity and derivatives and all these big words? I mean, I, I'm not I'm not that smart. You're an old dog, but you can still learn new tricks, man. Well, I know I, I can use those big words because I know they sound good in a sentence. I just don't know what it means. Well, I'll have you watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before next week's show. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> There's Brian Blessing. I'm host Adam Burke here with a highlight video on our ATS YouTube page, taking a look at week six around the NFL. Make sure you listen to our full editions of ATS Radio, which you can find on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. With that, that was Brian, we'll- by the way, that was impressive. Thank you. Just rattle I, I, rattle I, all those off. I try to be impressive. I that, don't was, know, maybe that, was more, that was more impressive than derivatives. And, no, that, was, that was impressive that you just rattled all those platforms off. Here's what I want. Speaking of impressive, next week I want you to tell me the names of the four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the show. I want you to do some homework. Do some research. Larry, yeah. <laughs> no, not, not, no. I'm not, I'm not even close. No. Who was the last teenager you knew named Mo? <laughs> I never met one. Exactly. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess let's go ahead and roll right into another highlight video here because we want to talk about the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek. Usually this is over in, I say usually, it's what, been three years that they've been having this event. But usually it's over in South Korea this year with the pandemic, of course. It is stateside at Shadow Creek. And, you know, this is a a course that I'm sure a lot of these guys have played. Some of them are, you know, probably there relatively frequently. Some of those guys probably playing it as sort of a bucket list type of thing. But you're out there in Las Vegas, Brian. We don't have course form. We don't have course history. We don't have any of that stuff because we haven't had a PGA Tour event here. We didn't have Tiger and Phil the match a couple years ago, but they're not even playing this week. What can you tell us about this par 72 Shadow Creek? Well, first of all, what's the budget for this thing we're doing? We're, we're, where's the fireworks sound effects? I had Martin Laird at 60 to 1 uh, this past week, which was really exciting. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll give you a golf clap for yeah, it. Well, okay. I had chunks of hair falling out when he three putt 16 and bogeyed 18 and won the three-man playoff. But that being said, and I, I got to tell you something, I am always ultra-critical of the Shriners Hospital Tournament at TPC Summerlin. Because let me tell you, this course has teeth if they grow the rough, and they don't. And the winning score is always 23, 24, 25, 26 under par. And I'm like, make these guys work. And I've been saying this for a decade. But you know what? They get exciting finishes. They get play. I mean, they you had you know, non Cantley in a playoff. You had Jonathan Bird win the tournament in a playoff with a hole in one. You just had a three man playoff here. 
maybe I just got to shut the hell up and deal with the fact that it's a high scoring event. But that setup over a TPC Summerlin does make for dramatic finishes. So I, I got to at least give them credit in that regard. Now, what we just saw, a lot of those guys are jumping, and that's why they came. It was a great field. And I think in large part, FedEx Cup points, sure. But I think a lot of them came and played that because they knew this was coming back-to-back weeks here in Vegas. Coming off the shelf, Dustin Johnson, who holds the course record, which is only a 66, by the way, um, is a co-favorite with Rom, 10 to 1. Uh, Justin Thomas, who's won this two of the first three years of its existence, but those were in South Korea, so that doesn't mean anything. McElroy's playing, Shoffley's playing. Matthew Wolf just lost in a playoff, so good form with him, 22 to 1. Kepka, by the way, coming back from uh, the injury. So we'll see what happens with him. I'm going to look for some guys. And by the other thing that's really intriguing, by the way, I watched the BMW. Great tournament over in England. Ty Hatton played his lungs out. He was good. But so were Shane Lowry and so were Fleetwood. They've all come across the pond. Uh, and they're in that uh, anywhere from... 30 to 40 range, but I, I'm going to give you two that I'm going to go with. Daniel Berger's 35 to one. He was terrific. A off the shelf of most of the year. I think he kind of wore down, but off the break when they returned from the uh, shutdown, Berger was the most consistent golfer. So I think Berger could uh, use freshness as an asset here. And then the other guy, I think is absolutely worth a look at about 40 to one is Sung JM. He, he's going to win again and he's going to win soon. I, I think the pandemic hurt that kid more than anybody because he just was loving life, living out of a suitcase and going tournament to tournament to tournament uh, in, you know, top fives, win top, the shutdown hurt him. He had a, he had a decent weekend. He had a decent tournament at TPC, and I think having those four rounds under his belt, I think I think him is an overlay at 40-1. to 1. Well, when you look at this course, you know, there were a couple of things that kind of stood out to me. A lot of dogleg lefts, which Dustin – I mean, this is perfectly tuned to Dustin Johnson's ball flight again. So, I think at 9-1, to one, yeah, I mean, look, I know that he's a short price, but I, you got to like him this week. He's a great putter, great ball striker. I think everything about this course – really sets up well for him. And that's the thing. This will be a ball strikers course because this is a very hard course. They've grown the rough out a little bit. But also one of the things I was reading is that these greens are very feisty. Multiple tiers, shelves, stuff like that. This is going to be a course where you're going to have to knock down some putts. So when I'm looking at ball strikers, I'm looking at guys that can also putt. Daniel Berger is a perfect example. Daniel Berger is one of the best putters among the ball striking group. The best putters are not here. The Denny McCarthy's, the JT Postons, the Christopher Venturas, they're not in this field. So you, you got to find talk, a ball striker. me into a guy, by the way. So you got to find a ball striker that can putt. And, and that's not a guy like Matsuyama. You know, he's a no. guy that has problem with the putter all the time. That's not a guy like Victor Hovland. He struggles with the putter too. Uh, I like Scotty Scheffler a little bit this week. I think he's a guy that fits this course pretty well. I like DJ. Then one other one, 90 to one. Anytime I get a course where you're going to have to putt. And he's a pretty good iron player, too. I think Kevin Kisner at 90-1 to is a good look. 
I played Kisner in a matchup already. Yeah. But think, close your eyes, you know, forget that you're wearing the turtle shirt. And what you just described, think who that guy has been for three months. The guy that hits fairways and can putt. You just talked me into him. I'm I'm absolutely going to play him. All right. Who are you playing? You just described Brendan Todd. Okay. Brendan Todd Todd has rolled the rock better than anybody for the last four months. 80 to 1. And all he does is hit fairways. There's one other guy that I could make a case for, and I've seen people starting to make a case for him, and he's somebody that crossed my mind. And I guess there's kind of a correlation here that Jason Day plays really well at Tom Fazio design courses. And Jason Day is 60 to one here. And Jason Day is a guy that when he's swinging it well, and you never know because of the back issues, when he's swinging it well, you know, he's a good ball striker, puts it in the fairway, and he's also a pretty good putter too. So maybe Jason Day at 60 to one, kind of a guy that makes the my list, you know, here as we get closer to uh, to the first round of tee-offs, but only 78 players here and no cut. So as usual, as you like to do, as you did with Martin Laird last weekend, some in-tournament opportunities, especially because we haven't seen these guys play this course. So I want to see who handles the course well and who doesn't. So Friday night, Saturday morning, I know you'll be stalking out some price plays. Uh, you know, I was just taking a quick peek at last week and one other guy, is he playing? Is it, I'm just curious. Is Webb Simpson playing? He's not. No, he's not on the list. That's what I was just, I liked him. I, that was my first thought ball striker that putts well, but he's not in the field this week. To me, again, I like him. Wait, when I say I had Martin Laird. I got Martin Laird on Friday night at 60 to one. And again, it just comes back to, you know, I ain't the smartest guy in the world, but this is a strategy that works. Unless you're like so ultra convinced that John Rahm is going to run away and hide. Play these guys, the favorites, you play them in matchups. It's, it's foolish to play anybody at 10, 12, 15 to one in a golf tournament. Unless you're so convinced they tower over the field, you always should look for a price. You know, play two, three, four guys at big overlay bomb prices, get them in the hunt, and then you can come back, watch the first two days, sit there and say, before you get to moving day, this is the guy I think he's going to get his act together on Saturday. And, you know, and, and the beauty of it, that, that strategy too, Adam, is. When you think about it, the guys that you're thinking can make the move on moving day, they're playing, for the most part, earlier in the day than the guys that got off to the fast start. So so you can get the bomb who comes out of the gate and then feels his oats and he's in contention. But the quality player who's four or five shots back, all of a sudden, he's going out earlier in the day you know, when the greens are more receptive and there's not spike marks and things like that, and they make the big push and then they get the momentum on Saturday going into Sunday. I always think you should start with a price and you can then come back and get a quality player at an overlaid price that's four or five back that you think is capable of making a move on Saturday. 
Good thoughts, good strategy there from Brian Blessing. And he'll have some more thoughts for us uh, with a video of his own on the CJ Cup here later on over on our ATS YouTube page. So make sure you check that out while you're taking a look at this one and all of our ATS YouTube content as well. And make sure you subscribe to our full editions of ATS Radio, which you can find on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. Brian, we covered a lot of ground here on today's show. Anything else you want to mention before we sign off for the day? Um, you know, the NASCAR, uh, that was an interesting uh, roval. Uh, but the NASCAR playoffs are interesting. And we got the Masters coming up, pal. I mean, it's it's a great time. You know, we're starting to get fans back. And from a sports perspective, it's fun. It's a good time of year. And I'm glad I've been watching so much sports because – you know, now I can do the analytics to find out that uh, Michelangelo is the weakest teenage turtle. <laughs> My favorite as a kid was Donatello, for what it's worth. Okay, there uh, you go. Yeah, I'll have a preview up of the uh, what is it, Hollywood Casino 400 over at uh, bangthebook.com this week, and I'll probably do one for ATS.io as well now that we're down to the last four NASCAR races back on the one-and-a-half-mile track, so – you know, the usual suspects will be the short prices uh, once again in that one. But Oh, by the way, but mark this down for future reference. I mean, how unbelievable is Chase Elliott on road courses? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's crazy good. Incredible. I mean, it's, it's not by a fair way, fight. Oh, man. What NASCAR race was it? There was a NASCAR race 2016 mm-hmm. at Chicago Land Speedway. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 400. They had a new movie come out. I did not see it for what it's worth. But they had a new movie come out, and they were the uh, the sponsor, the title sponsor, of a race at Chicagoland. So like, what did they do? Like, you know, put them out on the track, and there was like a you know, green splat all over the place? I, maybe. Your guess is as good as mine. Now you're going you're gonna to become I can't a wait to see, I can't wait to see what T-shirt you wear next week. I'll find one to your liking. I, I will make sure that I do that. God. Made my day. Good. Good. Anytime I can make your day, it's a good thing. Uh, but then again, take take this with a grain of salt because I'm very easily amused. Oh, all right. Well, now I don't feel so proud of myself. <laughs> Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how can people check out those two shows of yours? Thanks, bud. Um, yeah, KSHP.com. There's a listen live function, noon to 2 Pacific time. Sportsbook Radio with the sportsbook directors in town. Um our buddy Tony Neville, Treasure Island's coming in studio today for an hour. And if you're a hockey fan from one to two Vegas hockey hotline, uh, great hockey guests all around the league. Um, a lot of Golden Knights talk, but it, it, it's all about the action around the league. And in this free agency and offseason, uh, we do talk about so much about what's going on around the NHL. And I put all the links up at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Well, I know which shirt I'm going to wear next week. I just thought about it. So tune in. Everyone tune in to be surprised. Uh, Tease, a great tease. I'm just not going to wear a shirt next week on the show. We'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, It'll be an audio only show. (laughs) Brian Blessing, once again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Sportsbookradio.com, KSHP.com. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, Adam. Have a good week, bud. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing. You can follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Skating Tripods. 
Uh, coming up on our Wednesday edition of ATS Radio, we'll chat with Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper from huntersportspicks.com. Talking college football week eight, seven, whatever the hell we're in now, and also the NFL. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.